of Romans chapter 13. Um, the title of this morning's message is Living Under Authority. When you look at leadership, there's all kinds of levels of leadership. There's levels of leadership in our homes. God is very explicit about what that is, right? So when we look at scriptures, we have to look at scriptures. There is what we call explicit and implicit. Explicit means that it's clearly explained. It's, 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 it's non-disputable, right? What's being said is said clearly, and who it applies to is very clear. There's also implicit, right, which is implied, which means you have to dig a little deeper, and you have to look at other scriptures, right? So when we see something that's implicit, that means we go to other passages and look for the harmony in there, and so it gives us a better understanding of what that scripture is saying. We interpret scripture with scripture. Today I want to look at a passage that I believe is very explicit, but I've also seen other teachers and preachers say that it's more of an implicit uh, passage of scripture that, you know, they try to define it different ways. Um, so we're going to look at a passage that I believe is explicit, but we're going to shore it up with other passages of scripture so that there is no mistaking what this passage is really saying today. Now, I will tell you that it's going to be difficult for some folks to hear this, this scripture this morning. It's going to be difficult for some people to kind of take it in and stomach it, if you will. It's, it's, it, this is a passage that isn't easy, um, especially isn't easy if we don't like the leadership that we're under. The world is divided, the country is divided, I should say, if we haven't seen, you know, if we haven't noticed, our country is very divided. So in that case, depending on who you're looking at and who's in office, some people may be happy about this passage and some people may be upset about this passage. And then depending on what happens in January, it may flip-flop. But the meaning doesn't. And that's the hard part of this. And I'm going to say some, some tough things. I'm going to say it with love. I pray that I say it with love because I'm certainly not angry at anyone. But we've got to be honest about what the Scripture says, and we need to start 2021 with an understanding of what it means to live a Christian in today's world, in this country, under the leadership that we have in place. What does the Scripture say about these things? And we need to make sure we start the year out right. Now, Part of me wanted to wait until we had people back in the seats because I'm in no way one of the, I don't want anyone to think that I'm doing this passage today and preaching this message today because nobody's in the seats here and I don't have to look you in the eye because you're behind that camera somewhere, probably in your pajamas. By the way, one of my favorite commercials, have you seen the commercial with Denny Hamlin in it? Right, little girl says, hey Hamlin, I like your PJs. He's like, PJ, I love that commercial. Right? And so some of you probably still wearing your onesies around. I didn't think they made onesies for adults, but turns out they do. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm doing it today because I can't see you face to face. But understand this. The only reason I didn't wait is because God said today. And I felt that he said today's the day for this. And maybe, maybe it is better that you are home today. And listen to this passage. Because you might want to yell at the TV. 
might want to tell me to shut up. And you may even turn it off for a little while. But I ask you that if you do get upset, be upset with the scripture. And you have to take that up with God. I'm just a delivery man. You don't beat up the UPS guy because Amazon shipped the wrong product. Get mad at Amazon, right? So in this case, don't beat me up. Go to God and say, God, I don't like what you have to say. But even if you get angry and you turn it off for a while, think about it, and then go back and turn it on and listen to a little bit more. It might take you a couple times to get through it, but please do. It's for your benefit. Now, I do want to say this. I will be releasing a podcast this week that will make sense only if you listen to this message. And so if you want to share this podcast, what I'm going to address in the podcast is this. I've, been, I've had several folks express their opinions about the vaccine that's out. I'm not going to tell you whether it's right or it's wrong, but they have, a lot of folks have questions. If the government makes us do this vaccine, you know, what should I do? I will address that in a podcast of what the scripture says about these things. But you have to listen to this first because it won't make sense. But I will be doing that later on this week because I love you and because I think we need to think about these things. And so I pray that, that you're able to take in today and then later this week when we release that podcast that you'll listen and hopefully have some peace in your heart about what we should do in this kind of, in this kind of a case of a vaccine. You know, if it's mandated that we take it to fly or to travel or whatever, you know, am I doing, you know, am I upsetting God? Am I doing something that's irreversible in God's eyes? Things like that. We will address those very things, but I'm not going to do it today but I will release the podcast later. So we're going to read from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Um, we'd like to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're home, I, I, even if you're in your PJs, just take a stand, if you can, right, if you can. So Romans chapter 1, I mean, Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but would, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and will, you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on a wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we pray today that you will speak to our hearts. That, Lord, it will not be my words, but it will be yours. Father, I pray that our hearts will be prepared to receive your word. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you help give us, Lord, the right attitude and the right mind. Uh, Lord, uh, as we just fully give ourselves to you, we want to be, Lord, in subjection to you. We want to do your will today, and we want to deliver your word with love. So, God, help me, Lord, today to just keep my heart on you to keep my mind on you so that Huff doesn't get in the way and mess this up. Lord, I love you. Lord, I want to be your man. 
not for my glory, but for yours and for the good of our church. And we pray this today in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. This chapter is a chapter of a long letter that's written to the church at Rome. And it's written to all the Christians that were there. But as far as application, the application of this letter as it was written to the Romans of that day, the, the Christians who were at Rome, the application of this passage hits all Christians even today. There are some passages that are very specific and were written for a specific time. And while we may draw some broad applications out of those things, I believe when we look at this portion of this letter, what was applied to the Roman Christians there still applies us to us directly today. And I do believe this scripture to be explicit. But we will make sure that we look at other passages as well so that we can have a full understanding. The problem is this letter to this church at Rome had to be accepted not through emotion, but through their minds. And then they must take in what's being said, truly think about it, and have that mind which is in Christ. And then hide those words in their heart that they may not sin against God. It's not going to be popular, but it will be just and it will be right. According to the scripture, which we should regard above all else. Now I want to address a few things as we get started. We're entering this new year and we may or may not be entering a new administration. I don't even know what to read anymore. So at this point... Um, I just stopped watching the news, to be quite honest with you. What's going to happen is going to happen. There's nothing I could do now to affect one way or the other. I did what I needed to do on November with the 6th or 4th, whatever day we was that we voted. Um, and Brother Kevin brought a message in that time we were about to vote about the first king. I'm going to refer back to his message a little bit um, and kind of build off of that. He did such a great job of really kind of bringing that scripture out. And so we're not going to add to it like it wasn't done right, but we're going to use part of that in our understanding today. And I do thank Kevin for bringing that message. We did what we had to do on Election Day. And so now it's out of our hands. It's in the hands of government. And whatever will be, will be. And there's nothing we could do about that. So as we enter in 2021, it doesn't matter who's in office. This scripture applies exactly. Not if, not if the guy you want to be in there is in there. But this scripture applies to whoever is in that office. Now, I've got to tell you something. I have had some heartburn over the last many years in this country, especially as a pastor being in the pulpit and not being able to say some things because this is not the place to be political. And for us to to maintain our tax-exempt status and things like that, we cannot endorse a candidate, at least from the pulpit. Now, as a person, I can go out here and talk about who I like regardless, and, and my, my freedom is protected. But when I'm in this, when I'm in this pulpit, um, that's not the place to endorse a candidate. Not to mention, I ain't found one that I was worthy of being endorsed from this pulpit anyway. But I'll tell you, I've had some heartburn over the years. And, and to me, we started down a downhill spiral when it comes to respect in this country. To, to me, started with 
George W. Bush, to be quite honest with you. President Bush, I believe, was a good man. Um, he obviously, well, when it comes to giving speeches, let's just say President Obama was a lot better at that. He wasn't very good at giving speeches. Sometimes I think he made words up on the fly, things like that. And I'm not saying that it's not okay to joke around and have some fun. But I believe in this country, and especially in our media, we started on a downhill spiral where we started disrespecting people who had the office. And I think that's wrong according to the scriptures, regardless of whether you agree with that person's politics or not. So we saw him being made fun of in a terrible way. Of course, he was conservative, so the conservatives would get upset about this, but the liberals wouldn't. But then we, we ended up with the next president, President Obama, for four years. I mean, eight years. Eight years. Sounds like I don't even live here, doesn't it? He don't even know how long President Obama was in. For eight years, we had President Obama, who's often I didn't agree with his politics. But you know what really upset me is the conservative right that a lot of them claim to be evangelical disrespected the office because they started calling him by his name and not by the office that he held. You see, that was President Obama, not just Obama. Now, if his friends called him that and he was okay with it, that's one thing. But as a citizen of the United States, that was my president. Whether I liked him or not didn't make a difference. He was my president. And we want to look at the scripture today, and the scripture is very explicit about how I am to conduct myself as a Christian. And so then we come to President Trump. And we had the never Trumpers, which I think is disgusting. And again, non-scriptural. He'll never be my president was what we heard a lot of people say. Well, the fact is he is my president until such time that he's not in office anymore. Do I like him? There are some of the things that he did that I agree with, and there's a lot of things he did that I did not, just as in the other presidents before him. But then we have people today who says that if Mr. Biden, I don't even know what to call these people anymore, president-elect or whatever, Biden gets in that he'll never be my president. We sound like a bunch of kids in a sandbox. If you're not going to play my game, I'm taking my toy and going home. Me and my Tonka tractor are going home. We have to decide today, are we going to be citizens of God's kingdom first? And then take the cue given to us by God in his word on how to be citizens of this country. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom first. But being a citizen of his kingdom, my heavenly father has given me word on how to be a citizen of this country that I live in. And so I cannot look at any president and say he's not my president because the scripture clearly says that God ordains leaders. Now, many people said that President Trump was ordained by God as if he was the only one that has been not realizing that every leader that's ever had a leadership position has been ordained by God. Even the bad ones, Stalin, Hitler. Huff, you're, you're, talking, you're talking trash. No, this scripture is very clear. It doesn't say that those leaders that God allowed to be were always good. 
It just said that he allowed it to be. Because, you know, even sometimes, even though God already knows what's going to happen, the simple fact is, do we realize that we will more quickly be willing to bow down to a holy God when we realize we need him? And if everything was always peachy keen and everything was always perfect for us, then why would we need a Savior? Even bad leaders have a purpose. And we need to understand that all pain, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's social or civil, all pain has a purpose. Because God does nothing for no reason. But everything that God allows has a purpose. So while people who said they were never Trumpers made my blood boil, so does those who say that Biden will never be my president. They are equally wrong. And there is a fever that is starting to grow in this country. And somehow, people have gotten the idea that God is okay with disrespect and law-breaking. So today, we want to be very clear about what the Scripture says on how we need to conduct ourselves if we're going to call ourselves a follower of Christ. You may not like it, and it may be hard to stomach. Now, we're also going to look in the Scripture that we, it, the Scripture doesn't say we can't voice our opinions. But even our speech, God tells us how to speak, to be seasoned with grace. So we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to look at it in detail today together. We want to look at the Scripture and see what it says, how to conduct ourselves, how we're to act toward leaders, whether we agree or disagree. By the way, I do want to also say that no political party has a lock on biblical morals. It wasn't too long ago that I preached a message where I talked about pro-life is more than abortion issue. When we say that we're pro-life, that means I not only care about the unborn, but I care about the born. I care about the foreigner, the people who come to this country seeking a better way. It means I care about the elderly and how difficult it is for many of them who can barely afford their medicine. And sometimes they have to choose whether to get their medicine or food. It shouldn't be. I should care about the homeless. And I should care about those who've been treated harshly because of the color of their skin. And so when we look in the political realm, we talk about those people who are pro-life. But the simple fact is, is when I look at those people who say that from the top of their voice that they are pro-life and, and so many people who claim to be evangelical are right behind them, yeah, we're pro-life, but yet they don't give a hoot about anybody else. They don't go out of their way to feed the people who are hungry, clothe the naked take care of those who need to take care and they certainly don't care about letting their voice rise up for those people who've been put down by our political system and so we hear people say things like this 
I don't know how anybody could be a Democrat and call themselves a Christian. Somehow you think Republicans got it all right. Let me tell you something. You're absolutely wrong and you're not educated on the issues. First off, I know Democrats who are pro-life, period. Over 30%, by the way, they say are pro-life. Secondly, I know Democrats who care more and do more in their community to take care of people who have needs than people who claim to be on the right and who are looking at them and say, how could you ever, how could you ever be in that political party and call yourself a Christian? First off, you're judging the intent of a person's heart, and that, my friend, is wrong. But to say something like that shows that you're not educated on the issues. Even Republicans are missing the mark on some of these issues that God cares very much about, and we'll look at that. So with that being said, let's unpack this passage. By the way, it's funny, Brian says, I think this is the longest outline you've ever given me. I said, well, there's a lot of scripture in here, and I want to make sure I got it right. Doesn't mean the length is going to be longer. I'm going to try to stick to the outline because I don't want to venture off. I don't want to say something that I haven't thought through. Because to me, it's a very tender subject, and I know that it's going to hurt some people. And some people are going to, to maybe, I don't know, maybe they'll think that I'm not their pastor at this point after this. I, I'm willing to take that chance just simply because God said, preach this, and i got to do what he says. But it's going to be hard to stomach, and I understand that. So I'm just going to try to stick to what I believe God has given me. And I will likely not be telling crazy stories today. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 together. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no other authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has pointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So in this passage of Scripture here, there's one thing I want you to understand is where all authority and power originates. You see, this isn't a very important key to this whole passage. We have to understand where the power comes from. The power doesn't come from us. We may live in a democracy where we get to vote, but do you realize that the power does not come from us? God doesn't need you to vote a certain way to get a certain person in office. God has the ability to make that happen however he wants to do it. Now, God allows us to participate in that plan. And by the way, if your person doesn't win and someone else ends up in office, it doesn't mean you voted wrong. It doesn't mean that at all. Hopefully you voted your conscience and you did what you thought was right and stick by that. That's absolutely fine. It doesn't mean that you were wrong. It just meant that this is the way the world is going and God is letting things unfold. But trust me, that person will not be there if God doesn't want them there. There must be a purpose. And when will we start trusting God's purpose over what we think is right? You see, because what this passage really says in verses 1 and 2 is that all power belongs to God and Him alone. He may allow us to have a portion of that power. By the way, He did that in the garden, and I'll show you that. There is no authority except from God. In Matthew 28, right, this is, uh, this is Jesus as He's about to, to ascend. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is saying here, or Jesus is saying, all power has been given to me by the Father. The scripture later on says that Jesus said that, you know, that, that, that things will not be finished until God has made all of his enemies his footstool. In other words, nobody will ever get over on God. But Jesus is saying here, all the, all the power has been given to me by the Father. Now we know the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And so when I say that God has given the power or Jesus has given the power, it's one and the same. So don't get wrapped up too tight in that. There's no wrong way to say that, whether I say God or whether I say Jesus. But Jesus is talking here to his disciples. And what he's really saying to them, he's like, listen, I have conquered death and hell. And all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now I want you to go making disciples. And so think about what he's saying to them. He's saying, I want you to now to go out to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the uttermost and make disciples. But he had already told the disciples, they've hated me and they will do what? They will hate you. Jesus died a gruesome death. Guess what? All the disciples but one did the same. Died gruesome deaths at the hands of leaders, whether it, had been, whether it be the Sanhedrin or the Roman government. Now think about that. Jesus is saying, I have all power. You go out and make disciples and do what I tell you to do. And so imagine then when they run into opposition. Jesus said he had all power. Yes, he does. But he allows people to make decisions. He allows people to choose wickedness if that's what they choose. Jesus himself was put to death by what? At the hand of the Roman government. Paul, who's writing the letter that we originally started reading today, he's writing to the church who's at Rome, and guess who would end up ultimately giving Paul his death sentence? The Roman government. Jesus is saying, I have all authority. So don't ever make that mistake of thinking that Jesus is not in control. He is control. And anybody he allows to have a piece of authority, a sliver of authority, it's his decision to make. But even that person who sits in authority, they may think they got there a certain way. They may think they got there through hook or crook or whatever. But make no mistake, they're only there because God is allowing them that moment of time. And so doesn't that put us in a different perspective? So no matter who I enter 2021 with, no matter who ends up in that White House, it really doesn't matter. Matter of fact, if I am scared of who's going to be in there next, then maybe I'm putting my faith in the wrong person. I'm putting my faith in a man instead of putting my faith in Jesus Christ. If the next administration scares me, to the point that I have to, 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 to do non-Christian things, to try to manipulate things, then I have truly just exposed my heart. And my heart says that I trust my mind and my will more than God's. Because if God wants somebody in there, and I don't care if it's the clown that plays Ronald McDonald, if God wants him in there, then we need to call him President McDonald. And I'll take a supersize, Amen. Especially on them fries. By the way, they put sugar on them fries. That's why you like them so much. If that's who God wants in there, 
If he wants Bozo the Clown to be in there with a big red nose and floppy feet, we'll call him President Bozo. Because all authority belongs to God. And he will give a sliver of that to whoever he chooses. And I'm to be okay with it. And I'm not to fear it in any way. Why? Because I only fear the one who could take my soul. And there's no president in this country or any other country that can take my soul. If you're scared, then your fear is on you. And you're not looking at it right. And I hate to be that curt about it, but it's the truth. You see, from the very beginning, God has shared power with us. He's given us a little bit of power, and he's going to hold us accountable for it, too. You see, it goes all the way back to Genesis, even in Genesis. And, and we look, do, we, do we realize just how generous and how loving God is? For God to make this beautiful earth, I don't know about you, but I've seen some beautiful things along the way. By the way, the only thing I saw beautiful in Missouri was John and Cindy's family. It wasn't nothing else. No, the sunset, the sunset, I'll give you that. It's so flat that you can see the sunset before it happens. You can see tomorrow before it gets here. In Missouri, it takes a dog three days to run away because that's how long it takes to get out of sight. Unless you climb a six-foot ladder, it takes an extra day and a half. But I've seen some beautiful things. Sal and I have seen the Rockies together. We've seen the Grand Canyon together. We've seen the blue water of the Bahamas, the beautiful water in Key West. We've seen the beautiful ocean at Puerto Vallarta. We've seen some cool stuff together, haven't we, babe? And it's all beautiful. And to think God would make this beautiful earth and actually say, I'm going to share it with you, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some authority over it. It goes all the way back to the garden. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over, over, the, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image God created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. From the very beginning, God says, I love you. I've made this beautiful place for you, and I'm going to let you be top dog. By the way, God will hold us accountable one day to how we treated this earth. I used to make fun of people who are conservationists and called them tree huggers and things like that, but now I look back and you know what? God's going to hold us accountable. And if this earth is not inhabitable by our grandchildren and our children's grandchildren, then that's on us. Used to be funny the days we would throw bottles out the window and try to hit car signs or street signs. Y'all remember that stuff? Of course, kids, you didn't hear that. We used to do those things. Now it's like you don't throw trash out. You do need to do the right thing. Because God gave us this earth and he says for us to have dominion over it. And so we are responsible. Now I want you to think about a brief timeline of what happened. So God made man in his image, man sinned, they get run out of the garden. Now they have to toil the land, you know, and all these kind of things. But in the very first family, they had two kids, Cain and Abel. They had more kids, by the way, than that. It, Cain and Abel is the only one that's mentioned. 
right? And Cain did what to Abel? Killed him. Very first family, very first generation born on the earth. Adam and Eve were created as adults, I believe. The very first kids, the very first generation born here on the earth committed murder. And as they started to populate the earth, what happened? Man was wicked to the point that God says, you know, he, he lamented over it. He says, I regret that I even made man. Now, God knew what was going to happen, so it's not like God was taken by surprise. That's the only way we can describe the way, the way it happened. So God did what? He found one family, one man who was righteous in his family, Noah. And he destroyed the earth by water. But he made a covenant with Noah that he would never do that again. And so Noah's family grew and increased. And then we see Abraham come along and God made a covenant with Abraham. And then Abraham's family grew. He had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob would be renamed Israel. And out of that family, a nation was born. And they followed that covenant God had made with Abraham. And as Israel grew in Egypt, remember they went to Egypt because there was a famine. Joseph was already there and God had already used him in a mighty way to provide for them during the famine. So Israel stayed down in Egypt and they grew and grew and grew to the point that the Pharaoh was like, man, listen, we got to do something about this lest they take over. They, they're just growing so much. God ended up moving Israel out of Egypt and into the desert under the leadership of Moses, and we now then get the Mosaic Covenant. And we see all the, God gives all the laws, Levitical laws. And remember, Moses from sunup to sundown would listen to all their cases. Remember, God gave them laws, and he also gave them what to do. What was the punishment for those laws being broke? God laid all that out. And so God instituted the first true government. And we call it a theocracy, meaning that it was God's government. But how did God execute that government? Well, Moses' father-in-law, being the smart man that he was, told Moses, you need to appoint judges and have judges judge these cases because you're just wearing yourself out. And so we see judges. And when someone broke one of these laws, they would go before the judge and they would argue out the case. And this was their government. Well... That government wasn't good enough. After time, what happened? Man got full of himself again and said that we want a king. And you remember the, the message that Brother Kevin brought of the first king. Now, God warned them about what living under a king would look like, and Brother Kevin brought that out. But I'm going to reread that today. Maybe you forgot it. 1 Samuel 8. Chapter 8, verses 10 through 18, it says, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will also appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and his implements for his equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best 
best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them uh, to his work. Then he will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you've chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. So what happened here? They wanted a king. And God finally said, okay. And since then, we've been lamenting over it. You see, the king didn't rise up and take authority from God. Man didn't rise up and say, God, I'm taking your authority. The authority belongs to him. But we see here in this passage, God gave them the authority. He, the y'all want a king? I will give you a king. I will let you have it. However, this is what's going to happen to you. And so today when we look at our paychecks and we see that withholding out of our paychecks, the taxes that have been taken, God said this would happen. Except for that tenth grew into a lot more, didn't it? I'd be happy with a tenth. A tenth, I'd be like, woohoo. So we see here that all this authority belonged to God. But God gave man his way because man was complaining. And he says, okay, I'll humor you. And I will allow you to have a king. And I will allow your king to have this authority over you. But you're going to regret it. You see, just because God allows this authority and allows us to have it on the earth doesn't mean that they're right or there's no promise that they will act justly for our benefit. Matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. God is saying, I'm going to give you what you're asking for and what you want, but you're going to regret it because the simple fact is that God always ruled justly and perfectly and 100% righteous. But nobody who rules on this earth who isn't God does the same. Because the simple fact is, I don't know the intent of a man's heart. And therefore, I, at some point, I'm going to judge incorrectly. Why? Because I won't know what really happened. Only God does. But in verses 1 and 2, it says that this power, this power that people are allowed to have on this earth belongs to God. And he ordains them to have it. He allows it to happen. But it doesn't mean that they are right. It doesn't mean that they are just. It doesn't mean they're going to act for your good, although they're supposed to. And we'll look at that because that's what the next section says. By the way, Paul, Saul was not obedient during the war with the Amalekites, and he went off script. And so what did God do? God cut off his family from ever being king anymore. So Jonathan, Saul's son, would never get to be king because God took that away from him. But he gave it to a man named David. David was a good man, but he was not a perfect man. David did what? He committed adultery and murder. And David was a man of war. And David wanted to build, he wanted to build a temple for God. But what did God say? No, you're a man of war. You got blood on your hands. So Solomon became the next king. Solomon also went off script at the end. And the Bible says that his heart was drawn away from God with all of his wives. I think he had like 700 of them. 
And many of the kings that, were, that became kings after them were bad. But God allowed it to happen, and there was a reason. I looked at a few of them. King Asa was one of them that I kind of looked at. King Abijam, King Asa. This is what it says about Asa. In the twelfth year of Joab, and the king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. And he reigned forty-one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mekah and his daughter Absalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed the idols that his father had made. He was a good king, but look what happened after him, Nadab. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, the king of Judah. Remember, the kingdom split in two. And he reigned over Israel for two years, and he did which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father and sin, which made uh, Israel to sin. After him was a guy named Basha. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Asia, began to reign over Israel at Tizra, and he reigned 24 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and, and, and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. And just go read through Kings. I just implore you to do that. Go through Kings, and at the heading of every time a king changes, it'll, there'll be a heading in your, in your Bible. Just read the first couple verses and you will see that it always in the beginning will tell you he reigned X amount of years and he did evil which was the sight of the Lord or he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And you will find out there is more that did evil than those that did good. Does this mean that God made a mistake? No. No, God didn't make a mistake. God gave us what we asked for. God's way and God's law was not good enough for us. We wanted a king. All power belongs to God. People reign because He allows them to. There will be good ones. There will be bad ones. But that does not change what God tells us to do about it. Now let's look at the next section. So the first section is about who power belongs to and the simple fact that God allows men to have this power limited. Limited. The president or any other leader of any other country doesn't have full power. It's limited. God doesn't give them the power to create life. He may give them the power to execute justice and, and give the, the, the death sentence, but even then, if God doesn't want something to happen, God is all-powerful. And for that reason, man does not scare me and should not scare you. All authority belongs to Jesus. Any authority that we have in this land has been given to them for a time because God allows it. So let's verse, look at verse 3 and 4. 3 and 4 give us the purpose of government. And this is what we need to look and hold our government accountable to. Verses 3 and 4 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This is the purpose of government. It doesn't mean everybody does it rightly. And we live in a country here where we have freedoms to worship, freedoms to do many things. But even in this country, it's already been proven that our judicial system is messed up. It's been proven that heavier sentences are given to one race versus another for the same exact crimes. 
It's been proven that many people have been put behind bars innocently. It's been proven that we have literally handed out and executed a death sentence and executed people for crimes they did not commit. It's been proven time and time again. And these are things that we should care about, folks. These are pro-life things. I should even care about those who are imprisoned, about their care, and especially about those who've been falsely imprisoned. When do we stand up for them? You see here, it, it tells us what government is really to do, right? People who do right should not be terrorized by government. But those who do wrongly should be in terror. What does that mean? That people who break the law should be scared because the law will be carried out. And if they are guilty, there'll be a sentence that accompanies that. Now, we know that our system is partly corrupt. People can buy their way out of a lot of things. It's been proven. But the simple fact, this is what all leaders, when they stand before God, are going to be held accountable to. All of those who hold leadership positions in our government, they're going to be held accountable to this because this is what they're supposed to do. You see, what government is supposed to do for us is to carry out and uphold the second command of God. You ever thought about it that way? What's the first command of God? To love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Government cannot make you do that. Now, our government in this country gives us the freedom to do that, where in other countries it's illegal. In China, it's illegal to promote the gospel. And they, in many cases, cannot meet openly as we do. And we'll get to that. But we've been given that freedom. But the, the, the authority in this land is not so much for us to... That, that first command to love the Lord God, our heart, so that's something individually that you and I that we, need, that we got to choose to do. But that second command was love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the government cannot make you love your neighbor, but the government can put laws in place to keep you from sinning against your neighbor. Right? So thou shalt not steal, right? That's, that's, a, that's a law that's about loving your neighbor. And so we have laws that say that you can't do what? Steal. If I go out here and I break the speed limit, and I lose control of that car, and I hit someone else and hurt them, or I, I, I wipe out somebody's property, like a fence or a mailbox or something, right? There are laws that say that, you know, I broke the law, and therefore I'm responsible for that damage. Matter of fact, we have laws that make us carry insurance on our cars. Why? Because most of us don't carry enough money in our bank accounts to take care of those people should we do something like that. And so we have to carry insurance, to make sure that if we sin against our neighbor, and that's what we're doing, folks. That's when, we, when we break the law and lose control of our car because we wasn't driving the speed limit or, or paying attention to the, to the road signs and things like that, if we break the law and we hurt someone else or wipe out their property, we have sinned against our neighbor. And there are laws against that and to make sure those neighbors are taken care of. So therefore, we got to have insurance on our cars because I don't carry enough to take care of if I wreck and hit a Mercedes or something. I mean, if you're in a shopping cart you stole from the Walmart, I could probably replace that. I might have enough money in my account to replace that, but I might have to borrow a couple dollars from Sal. But if you're riding down the road in a Mercedes and I sideswipe that thing, boy, I whew, thank the Lord for insurance. I ain't got that kind of money. 
But see what those laws are made, right? So there, there are laws against these things. Matter of fact, there used to be laws in our country against things like adultery and stuff. Some of those old laws are still in the books. They're just not carried out. But as time goes on and men get more and more wicked, we don't want those laws because we want to we have the ability to do those things if we want to. But we want all the laws to protect us to do what we want, right? I want to be able to do some of those things and not get in trouble by the government. I don't want the government in my personal affairs is kind of what we argue. But if someone steals from us or someone hurts us in some way, we do want the government involved, don't we? And that's their job is to make terror for those who break the law. And so therefore, the government's real role is that second command of God is to help execute that law. God has given them the authority to hand down sentences and to make laws to protect us so that when we don't love our neighbor, even if I don't love you, the law should stop me from sinning against you. Now, God's going to hold me accountable for the condition of my heart if I don't love you like I should. But the laws of the land are to stop me from sinning against you, from taking your stuff or hurting you in some way. And so when the government does this in the right way, we like it. Think about it. We like it when the law terrorizes people who do wrong because we don't want wrong done to us. I want to be able to walk out of Walmart at nighttime and not be scared to walk through the dark to get to my car. I want to know that I can be in my house and be safe. Because we know locks only keep honest people out, right? If someone wants to get in your house, you know that lock ain't going to stop them, right? It's just it's not the way it works. Locks are for honest people. I remember growing up in a time where we used to leave our keys in the car at night where I lived. Because we just live with good people, but that's not the case anymore. Population is growing and the, the wickedness of man's hearts keep getting worse and worse. But verses 3 and 4 tell us what government should be doing on our behalf. Matter of fact, government does this not only for us to not sin against our neighbor, but also for our neighboring countries not to sin against us. Right, Because it is, the, it is the role of government to have an army to protect us against invasion. Not only that, we should also care about our, the other countries that exist. And so sometimes our, our military goes to help those countries as well. But, you know, there's a proverb that says this. In Proverbs 29.2, it says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. You see, not every ruler carries out this in the right way. Not every ruler is right and just. Not every ruler cares about the right thing. But the government exists to carry out this command so that we don't sin against our neighbor. By the way, some people say, well, this country was founded on God. I, 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 you need to go back and read your history. You see, what they did agree on people like Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and those guys, what they did agree on was that the laws that were found in the Bible would sustain society. Because if we can stop each other from stealing against each other or taking things away from each other or hurting each other or murdering each other 
or sleeping with each other's spouses and those kind of things. If, if we would not do those things and if we would have laws against those things, then society could do pretty well because the people who could not live and, and not do those things, well, there would be laws that would stop them and there would be incarceration and things of that nature. And so they knew that if they lived according to those laws, that men could live pretty happily next door to each other. But it wasn't founded upon God because there are no laws in our government, nor have there ever been any laws in our government that tells us who to worship. There's not been any laws that actually define who is God, and there are no other gods. Instead, we've been given the freedom to worship and to choose who we worship. But if there has been a God in this country, if there ever was a sinner figure of God in this country, it was money. And it is still money. Because remember of why we revolted against the King George. No taxation without representation. We felt we were being taken advantage of. And we were being taxed to the hilt. We were working hard and making this money and then having to send it over to someone who didn't care about us and wouldn't allow us to be represented in their government. Go back and read your history. Why do I say that? Because, listen, you know what we're wanting? We're wanting government to do what we're not willing to do. We want government to do things that we should be doing, like taking care of the poor and the elderly. Now, we live in a beautiful country, and I think we live in the best country in the world. Well, let's make sure we get it right. This country was founded on biblical principles, and that, my friends, is beautiful. But we also had slaves and did not count everybody equal from the beginning. That's a stain. A country that truly loves God would have to love their neighbor as their self, regardless of color, regardless of background. These are the hard facts. Laws exist to keep us from sinning against each other. Laws exist to be the great equalizer. Because whether someone loves me or not as my neighbor won't matter if they at least follow the law. See, if they're at least scared of the repercussions of breaking laws, they will do what is right not because they want to love their neighbor, but because they love themselves enough to not put themselves in a situation where they find themselves in prison. But even at that, it still would make the world a better place. Because if I at least care about my own self enough to not break the law so that I don't find myself in trouble, it will stop me from doing things against my neighbor. That's what the government's job is to do, is to protect us from each other and to protect us from other countries and to protect the people. 
But not only that, but also to protect their health and provide for those in need. That's what the government exists to do. It exists to protect us. Make us safe, whether it be from each other, from other nations, or whether it be from a sickness, a plague, or whether it be from famine. The role of government is that they've been given the authority by God, a small sliver of it, to use to take care of its citizens. That's what government is designed to do. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, we see the people's heart, right? They wanted a king. And after God warned them what a king would do, they said this, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all other nations, or like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. By the way, he ended up being Saul. God had done all these special things for them. God had showed that he could feed them even in the desert. He could provide water for them even in the desert. He provided food and clothing. God had done all these things, and he had given them laws on how to live so that they could live in harmony with each other. Taught them how to live with one another. Kept them safe. Even judged when somebody was done wrong, God handed out justice through the judges. And they were well taken care of, but that was not good enough. They wanted a king to go out before them and fight their battles. And ever since, we've been lamenting. So we've seen the power really belongs to God, and any power given on this earth has been given by God and is allowed by God. Nobody ends up in the White House or any other house that God doesn't know they're going to be there. And nobody stole it from God, I can tell you that much. You hear a lot about whether somebody stole this or stole that when it comes to our election and all that. I can tell you one thing, they didn't steal power from God. Nobody steals from God. God allows them to have it. That brings us to verse 5 through 7. We talked about who the power belongs to. We talk about what the role of government really is, but what is our responsibility? In verse 5 through 7, it says, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all who is, what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You see, this is where the going gets tough, because God mandates that we respect the authorities of the land, whether we like them or not. Whether you want a President Trump or a President Biden, it does not matter. At the end of the day, your responsibility as a Christian and my responsibility as a Christian is to respect those in authority and do what they ask us to do and to live according to the laws of the land. 
You see, the fact is Christians ought to be model citizens. Now, I remind you, Paul is writing to the church at Rome that is being terrorized by Nero. But that does not change the meaning of this passage at all. Paul is writing to a church that is persecuted and telling them that regardless of what's happening, you need to be mindful and respectful of those in authority over you. Period. End the discussion. It doesn't matter how harshly they treat you or what they do. You are to be respectful. The Christians were being treated harshly. Both Peter and Paul were arrested, but still yet said, we got to live by Christian values and principles, and Christians are to be model citizens. If Paul telling you this isn't enough, even though he was jailed by them and executed by the Roman government, if that's not enough, I said, do we do what? In a case where the scripture is implicit, then we look at other scripture to make sure that we understand the meaning. Now, I believe Romans 13 to be explicit. I believe that it already says very clearly. But if you think it's implicit, then let's go look at what Peter wrote around the same time. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 19, it says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent to him to punish him who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Subjects, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God won't endure sorrows while suffering justly. So why are we mindful of those who in authority over us? It's not because that person deserves it, but it's the office that God has ordained. And therefore, by respecting the office, I am respectful to Almighty God who granted them the opportunity to be in that office. You see, we got to get past looking at the person and ask who allowed that person to be in place. And that is God because all power belongs to him. Any power that man has, God is allowing him to have it. And so I have to decide whether I'm going to look at things about what I like or whether I am going to honor God. Because when I am respectful of those in authority over me, I am bringing glory to God. And that is our purpose for living is honoring God. Matter of fact, there's a unique book, and suddenly I, I can't remember the name of it, but let, hang on just a second, and I, I'll, I'll give you a book to read, a, 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 a one book in the, in the Scriptures here um, that I can't... You know, you can never find something you're looking for. Read the book of Philemon. Philemon is about a runaway slave named Onesimus who has an encounter with Paul and comes to know Christ through the Apostle Paul. But when Paul finds out that Onesimus is a runaway slave, guess what Paul tells him to do? He says, go back. But take this letter with you. And Philemon is the letter Paul wrote on the behalf of a runaway slave asking his friend Philemon, 
who he knew to receive Onesimus not as a runaway slave, but as a servant of God and a disciple of Paul. Paul used his um, his I, I don't know what word I want to use here suddenly, but his influence, right? His influence. Thank you to my wife. You couldn't see her on camera. She gave me the word. Paul used his influence to stand in the gap for a runaway slave. But Paul didn't say just, I'm just going to send Philemon a letter and tell him to let you off the hook. No. Because Paul knew that Philemon had the right. He had the right to do whatever to Onesimus that he wanted to do for running away. But Paul did ask him to consider grace. You see, you don't just respect the office when somebody you like is in there. You respect the office and you do that which a citizen does is follow the law, regardless of whether they are just or unjust. Whether they do what you like or what you don't like. Paul wrote to Titus and says the same thing again. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show courtesy, perfect courtesy toward all people. God made us emotional beings, but we are not to make decisions based on emotion. Right? The Bible says anger and do what? Sin not. So we see Paul right, we see Peter right, and we see also written in Titus. Regardless of whether that person you like or not, whether they do what you think is right or not, really isn't the matter at all. By the way, J. Vernon McGee says this, In effect, God says, I will not permit any injustice to come to you that I will not straighten out someday. Now do not depart from the pathway of faith and don't hit back. The minute you and I hit back, we are saying to him, God, I can't trust you in this particular case. I'm going to have to take it into my own hands. We're almost inclined to say this, but Brother Paul, could you say that if you lived in a day which I live with this crowd of politicians in office? Well, you must remember that in Paul's day, bloody Nero was on the throne in Rome. And Paul had even appealed his case to him, despite the conditions that prevailed in his day. He could say that you are to be obedient to the powers that be, for the powers that be are ordained of God. Whether it's bloody Nero or whoever is in office in your day, we have a relationship to government. So you may be saying today, I hear what you're saying, but listen, I'm not just going to sit idly by. That may be your choice. But when we sin against those in authority, we sin against God. Because any authority they have came from God. Whether they be Nero or whether they be the nicest king ever. Either way, God ordained it. And so what you're doing is shaking your fist at God saying, your choice isn't good enough for me. Your choice doesn't meet my standard. 
And if you're willing to shake your fist in the face of God and think that you're going to get away with that, then you're just going to have to live with the consequences. By the way, another thing is you think you're smarter than God. I've met people, I listen to people, and there are many out here that think they are smarter than God. They've got it figured out. God must have made a mistake because if that person's in office, they don't need to be and they shouldn't be, and that's absolutely wrong, and I've got to make it right. Listen, you may think you're all that in a bag of ooh, but you ain't smarter than God. And you don't have his power. And it's probably a good thing. It's probably a good thing. So we do want to ask this question as we get ready to close. Is it ever okay to disobey government? It's a question we have to ask. Is it ever okay to, dis, to disobey government and how should we conduct ourselves? First off, no matter what we do, we always conduct ourselves with grace and mercy. But when is it okay to disobey government? Or is it okay? The answer is yes, it is okay to disobey government in this one instance, when the government is requiring us to break God's holy law. That is when it's okay to disobey government. But how we do it is as important. You see, we don't need guns or violent protest. We need to simply just do that which is right and suffer the repercussions. You see, this is what happened to Peter and John in Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 33. It says, when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So Peter and John gave us the answer here. I have to obey God rather than men. So when it comes down to obeying a law or God, we must choose God. However, we must be mindful that we may suffer the consequence of man as a result. When we obey God rather than man, and a man takes his anger out on us, we must understand that is going to happen. It's not that, okay, well, I'm going to obey God, but he's got to take care of that. No. No, that's not how it works. And we don't obey him. We don't obey God and bring out violence toward other people. See, God doesn't need us to break out firearms and everything else. God can take care of those things. We say more through silence and peaceful demonstration than we will ever say with a gun. Martin Luther King was a godly man. And he would not break out violence, although he was treated so harshly. There's something to be learned about people like that. 
Are there cases in the scripture where somebody has disobeyed government? Yes, there are. I'm only going to give you a few. First off, the Hebrew midwives. Do you remember that story? I, I, I preached about that not too long ago. I don't know, it's, it's been within the last year. The Hebrew midwives were told to do what? To kill the babies of the Hebrew. But what did they do? They refused. They didn't fight back. They just simply refused to take a life. Then there's Moses' mother. She did what? She hid Moses. And God ended up using him to do great things. But his life was never easy. It was easy for his growing up years when he was living in Pharaoh's house. But once he became adult and God called him into the ministry, and that's what he did. He called him to be a leader. And to stand in the gap for his people. And his life was, had a lot of toughness. But what's interesting about this is while Moses did some great things for God and he broke the law of the Egyptians. But Moses, when he was told to speak to the rock, instead he kicked it and God did what? He says, you'll not enter the promised land. You don't go against God and get away with it. Also, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were taken from their homes by Nebuchadnezzar. Taken as hostages, if you will, and brought into his place. They refused to eat the food, but when they refused to eat the food, they didn't do it in a violent way. They simply asked the eunuch that was over them, can we be given something else to eat because this violates God's dietary law? And he granted it to them. And at the end of the time, they were found to be in better shape than those who ate from the king's table of the food that was been prepared in a way that was against their dietary laws. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when it was time to, to bow, when they heard the music, they did everything the king asked them to do except violate God's law, which says that he is God and God alone. And thou shalt have no other gods before me. When it came to man's law versus God's law, they said, this we cannot do, king. They didn't act out of violence. They didn't act out of anger. They simply refused. They refused to break God's law. And as a result, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But what happened? They came out without even so much as being singed or having the smell of smoke. God blessed them. So, is it ever okay to disobey the law? Yes, it is. Only in cases where we must violate God's law to follow man's. In those cases, we must choose God first and be willing to suffer whatever penalty comes next. Then there's another, there's another element to this. Is it okay to call out government and to speak up about wrongdoing? And the answer to this is also yes. You see, what Paul is telling us to obey the authorities and obey the rulers and to be respectful of them, we must absolutely do that. However, when man's law interferes with God's law, we must choose God first and realize that we're probably going to suffer for it and we've got to be okay with that. And then number two, 
is we still must use our voice to call out that which is wrong. But we have to do it in the right ways. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says this, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. What does that mean? That means that I must stand for those who cannot stand for themselves if someone is being done wrong. Now, when I do this, I must do this with Christian character. I must follow God's laws about, oh, about communication. I must have my speech seasoned with grace. But I must, I must identify wrong when it's being done and speak out about it. I think that's another thing that the American Christian has missed the mark. All of us, me too. We get so caught up in our lives that we don't even see that people are being wronged right underneath our noses. We must be more observant. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. We have a role in government. It is to be respectful and follow the law. But when those laws intersect with God's laws and, and would cause us to sin, we must choose God's law and any penalty that follows it. And then secondly, we must speak up about things that are being done wrong. If our government is doing something wrong, then we need to be vocal about it, but vocal in a Christian way, without violence, without hurting our neighbors. I guess the popular thing to do these days is memes, right? You see that all over social media? Sarcasm is never going to change anything. Sarcasm is not speaking out for those who need to help on speaking out for. I'm talking about reasoning, going to the government, speaking to them, whether it be our local government, our local senators or representatives, people who we send to Washington, those people who are supposed to be working on our behalf, we need to be vocal to them. We need to, to look at the laws that are in our land and, and look at those which are not helping those who need help, those which may be oppressing people who shouldn't be oppressed. And we should be vocal about it and take a stand for those who cannot take a stand for themselves. Are there people in the Bible that have spoke out and challenged leadership? Yes, there are. I'm going to give you a few to look at, and I want you to look at them. You know, you need to look at these on your own. But Moses, did he not go back to the Pharaoh on behalf of his people? Nathan, Nathan the prophet, think about what he did. Remember, he told David a story about a man that only had one little lamb, and another man had all these lambs. But instead of taking one of his own, he took the one away from this guy. And David said, you show me who that guy is and I'll go after him. Nathan said, it's you, David. It's you. You've taken the wife of Uriah. I imagine Nathan might have been a little nervous that day. But somebody had to tell David. Somebody who had his ear, who had influence, had to stand before David and tell him, 
that he had been in the wrong. Elijah. Elijah went before Ahab. Ahab had married Jezebel in doing that which was evil in the sight of God. Elijah was the one that called him out on it. Esther. Remember Naaman who was going to try to extinguish all the Jews. But the king found pleasure in Esther. And she was beautiful. And her uncle says, you've got to go, you've got to go talk to her. You, you, you've, got to, you, you've got to get the king's ear and you, you've got to tell him what's going on. But the problem was is that if the king became offended by what she had to say, it could have cost her her life. But her uncle says, maybe God made you for a day like this. And so Esther did that which was right. She used her influence and spoke up for the Jewish people. And their lives were spared. And name was taken instead. Nehemiah. Nehemiah had the king's ear. King, Ex king Xerxes looked at Nehemiah. What's wrong? Your countenance has changed. And he said, how can I be happy when the, when, when the temple of my people is laid in waste? I'm sure that he could have just as easily offended Xerxes. But Nehemiah had a heart that was burning for his people and burning to rebuild the temple. And so he spoke up. Xerxes let him go back and help with the rebuilding. Daniel spoke up. John the Baptist spoke up. And it cost him his head. But he called out Herod for taking his brother's wife. And then we got the best one of all, Jesus. Jesus spoke up. You see, it wasn't the Roman government that Jesus had an issue with. It was the Sanhedrin. Those who were in religious authority, who were taking advantage. Jesus ran the money changers out of the temple because they were cheating people. And he called out the Pharisees. We can be critical of leadership, but we must do it in a godly way. Irreverent speech is not the way of a Christian. By the way, irreverent speech and name-calling is not the way of a leader either. No leader should call out names to people, or call them names, I should say. Mock them in any way. And I've seen that over the last four years. And I think it's pathetic. And it's certainly not the way of a righteous person. So look at verse 5 and 6 again. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Our leaders may be ungodly, but the authority they have is instituted and allowed by God, so we must treat them accordingly. Because to disrespect them is to disrespect God. No one in our country has ever taken office that wasn't allowed to by God. If a new presidency makes you scared, then you've put your faith in the wrong office.
You need to put your faith in the office of the Messiah himself, Jesus Christ. As for now, our leaders will make laws and they will judge according to this, but they will not do it perfectly. There are times that innocent are going to be jailed and the guilty are going to go free. But we must remember Jesus is coming back to correct all of it. And that's what we need to have faith in. Quit having faith in our government. I need to be respectful of them and mindful of them. I need to participate in the process because I live in a country that affords me that right to do so. I need to use my voice, especially to speak up for wrongdoing. Do so with respect and with speech that is seasoned with grace. But I must take a stand. But I also must remember that there are going to be those who are wronged here, and it's going to look like people that have been wronged them have gotten away with it. But no one is getting away with anything because Jesus is coming back to make all things right. In Romans 12, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, beloved. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said to my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And in Revelations chapter 22, verse, starting at verse 10, and he says, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy, because behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and I'm coming, and I will set it right. It may look like wrong is being done now, and there's no way to stop all the wrong from being done, but listen, you can bet on this. Jesus is coming soon, and when he does, he will repay each one according to his works, and he will make all things right. So quit putting Jesus on these other people who are mortal men who've been given the power and just a sliver of it that God has allowed them to have for this time. Quit looking to them to be your Savior and realize that it is Jesus who's coming back and He will make it right. I don't need them to make it right. I need to speak up for what is wrong and do so with a Christian voice, one that comes from the heart of love because I care about my neighbor and not just myself. I need to be respectful and mindful, but realize I don't need a Savior in the White House or any other house because I already got a Savior. And the Scripture says that He goes to prepare a place for me that where He may be, I may be also. You see, I know that things are never going to be right here like they're going to be right there. So I don't need a president to save me. I don't need a senator to save me. Or to save you or anybody else. I've got a savior. And his name is Jesus. And now I'm looking for him to come back. And make all things right. Let's pray.